What is a saint? <laughs> That's a pretty good question to ask when the traffic is like this. Hey, YouTube theologians, Pastor Wolfmuller here. On All Saints Sunday, All Saints Day was last week. It's when the calendar got so full of saints days that they're like, we don't have any room for any more saints, so let's just put a day for all the other saints. But the word saint comes to us, and I want to think about also Christian suffering. Because Jesus today said, Blessed are the, he had the blessed, blessed are, yours is the kingdom of heaven, nine blessings. And then he changes, he says, blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted. Which we happen to have the same thing in Bible study, 1 Peter chapter 5, 4, into 4, where, where Peter says, if you suffer as a Christian, rejoice. What does it mean to suffer as a Christian? But let's work our way there uh, today. So let's see. So, oh, saints. We think of saint. We, I think we can think of saint helpfully in three different ways. The first way we think of saints is the, the heroes of the past. That's probably how we got started. And these martyrs, all these people who, who died for the faith, who did all these great works. And what happened was that, that there was such a celebration of these heroes these martyrs, that it, it, get, it kind of gets carried away. So we, we saw in Rome this last summer the, all the uh, catacombs where they were digging in all this lava rock and they had all these burials there. And if they, if they buried a martyr down there, then everyone wanted to be close to the martyr. And they would build these little chapels and, and maybe right above the saints, the martyrs who were buried, they would they would build a little chapel and they would have a celebration on their day. It's good to remember the heroes of the faith, but again, it kind of gets carried away and it, it turns pretty quick into prayer uh, to the saints, which is nowhere commanded in the scripture, nor is there any example given. So that that is at best a, a not necessary practice at best, but it very quickly becomes a, a dangerous and idolatrous practice like it did in the Middle Ages where the thought was, hey, the saints are closer to God than us, so their prayers are more effective. No, no, no. You're, our prayers are not effective because of our own holiness, nor are they more effective because of any location. The, the efficacy of prayer is in God and His Word. That's it. What more would you want, though? So the, the Lutherans had to include in their big debate with the Catholics, which we call the Reformation, uh, a bunch of stuff on the cult of the saints. But they said, look, we, there's a way that we can truly honor the saints. In fact, there's three ways. We honor them by giving thanks to God for them and the good works that they accomplished and the things that, they, that the Lord used them to do. We thank God, for example, for, for Paul and for Romans and 1 Corinthians and all these works that he did there. Or Peter or whoever, Augustine. Or... So we thank the Lord for them. The second is we're encouraged by them, and especially the encouragement comes. And this is important because the saint does not mean a person who is without sin or a person who didn't need the Lord's redemption or forgiveness. No. When we think of every single hero in the faith, we're thinking of a sinner who was died for by Jesus whose sin was covered with his blood. So we especially remember the saints and we thank God for 
Peter who denied Jesus three times and then and then was restored by Jesus. What mercy. And we think, oh, look at the, the, the kindness and the patience of God for Peter, also for me. Look at how gently the Lord dealt with Peter. Look at how kindly the Lord was with Paul. Look at how merciful the Lord was with Moses and with David. And oh. So it encourages us because it reminds us that God is merciful. And the third benefit, the third honor that we give to the saints is the honor of following their example of faith and of love according to our vocation. So that kings have something to learn from David and preachers have something to learn from Paul and fathers have something to learn from Adam and mothers have something to learn from Mary and so forth and so on. That's a true honor that we give to the saints, those heroes of the faith. And we, we learn from the martyrs what it means to confess our faith even when things are bad. These martyrs, oh, I'm a Christian, they'd said. Oh, just worship Caesar. No way. How can I worship Caesar? Jesus is my Lord. Oh. And there are heroes. It is a somewhat strange thing about Christians that our heroes are these people who were murdered for refusing to say Caesar is Lord. But that's the case. That's, these, are, these are the ones. These are the, the men and women who refused to deny Je who who stood faithful to the end, even if it meant losing everything, their head or their skin or their whatever, their life. They, they lose it all rather than deny that Jesus is Lord. That's our, that's our, you can learn, remember, you can learn anything you want to know about a person by just figuring out who their heroes are. And that's our heroes, our, the, the martyrs of the Christian heroes. It's kind of wild. <laughs> so that's the first way we think of saints. God be praised. But then there's another way we think about saints, and that is that those who are in heaven, the, and, and the reason why, because saint means holy one, remember? Hagion in, in Greek, it's just it's just holy ones. And when we die, we're removed from this sinful life, souls purified, we're separated from our sinfulness. Wow. So that we're holy. Now this is as good a place as ever. I think I need to drop this in a just its own video, but I've been thinking more and more about how. One of the problems with Gnosticism, remember the Gnostics, that Gnosticism that says that the spirit is good and the flesh is bad. And, and, and here, so here's a, a simple thing I've been thinking about Gnosticism, and that is that, that Gnostics make the soul-body distinction the same as the flesh-spirit distinction. So the Bible talks about us as soul and body. We have the immaterial internal life and we have a body, a physical life. And the Bible also talks about us in terms of flesh and spirit. The spirit wars against the flesh. The flesh is what's full of lusts and unbelief and sin. The flesh is our inborn concupiscence, our attraction to things that are evil. That's the flesh. And the spirit is the new man that the Lord gives to us. In fact, everyone has 
a spirit, but when we're born sinful, our spirit is dead. It's empty. It's like a room with the lights off. And when we're baptized, the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit, and now our spirit is alive, and it's fighting against the flesh. So we have these two dualities, body, soul, flesh, and spirit, and the Gnostics say they're the same. Your body is your sinful flesh, and your soul is your spirit, which is good and holy. That's wrong. Because it's not just your body that sins, it's also your soul. In fact, the soul is where you manage to do your worst sins, your unbelieving and your doubting of God's mercy and your, your impatience and suffering. That's all the bad stuff that's happening in the soul. You can sin with your body, no doubt, but your soul sins also. So your soul and your body are part of the flesh and the spirit is not just interacting with your soul, but with and maybe especially with your body. Every good gift that God gives comes through your body, even the Word, the gift of baptism, His body and blood, so that when you're taking the Lord's Supper, you have a spiritual body, <laughs> a holy body, doing holy things. Wow. So the Gnostics try to make the spirit-soul distinction, the flesh-spirit distinction. We say, no, no, they are different distinctions. My, my body and soul are given over to, to, to the sinful flesh, but also my body and soul are captivated by God's spirit. <laughs> I need a picture. I'll, draw, I'll do a picture. Someone remind me. I'll do a video. Draw a picture. I need to do more grappling stuff anyways. Now, the Gnostic distinction, by the way, between body and soul is a form of spiritual death because, remember, that's what death is, the separation of body and soul. And the Gnostics say, yeah, we want to do that now. So if you're a Gnostic, which is what you are if you're not a Christian, I mean, everyone around here is Gnostics. I don't know who these people are in the car, but they're probably Gnostics. And that's a form of death, a form of spiritual death, separating body and soul before the body and soul are separated. Now, why are we talking about this? Oh, yeah. Because sometimes we think of saints as those who have gone to heaven and we remember that when we die, our bodies and souls are separated and at that, at that moment, the Lord completely purifies our souls so that they're washed clean of sin, able to stand before God. Now our bodies still have sin till the last day and the resurrection of the body is when the Lord expunges all traces of sin from our bodies. So the soul gets to go and rejoice in the presence of Jesus, to be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord. Oh, come Lord Jesus. May it happen soon. And then on the last day, even better, the body is freed from sin, from out of the reach of death. Can you imagine? So there are those who are now in heaven and we are rejoicing in them. We're thanking God for them. We mourn for them, but we mourn not as those who have no hope. We mourn with hope. You know, I think Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I think the way that that scripture is most often kept is this, and that is that we send our loved ones ahead of us. Our memos and papas and our mimis and papas and our moms and our dads and our brothers and sisters, even our children and friends and neighbors, co-workers, we're sending them ahead of us.
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We long to be there with them. And we do not speak of the dead as those who were. Because they are. Jesus says, all those who believe in me have passed from death to life. And even though they die, they will live. Mourning, remember, is the shape of love for those who are absent. So we weep and we mourn and we rejoice and we love still. So the Bible talks about saints as the heroes. The Bible talks about saints as those who are in heaven. The Bible also talks about saints. Well, this is the way the Bible normally talks about a saint. What it means is it means you. YouTube saints, that's what you are. <laughs> the baptized. If you're baptized, you're a saint. And they're, the saints are described by these white robes. Where do you get those robes? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white by their own spotless lives. In fact, they didn't even need to be made white. They, they came here already white. They showed up so perfect. No, no. The robes are made white by the blood of the lamb. Now, if you know anything about laundry, which I don't, but I know a couple of people who do, like my mom, who would always be particularly upset with blood and grass stains. And those oftentimes came together because apparently it's hard to get out. Again, I'm not an expert on this. I know that fool could have fooled you guys. How to clean pants. It's going to be my next YouTube video. Hugely popular, the how-to series. <laughs> okay, so here's what, I, here's what I know, though, about laundry. I know that if you want to put something, make it clean and white, you don't dip it in blood. <laughs> that I know. But that's how it happens in Revelation 7. These are those who have come out of the Great Tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb. It's Lamb's blood. It's Jesus' blood that clothes us in white. And you have it. Luther said somewhere, maybe someone can find this reference, he said that you have to imagine that the baptismal font is filled with the blood of Jesus. That's gross. And beautiful. Because there is no stain that can withstand the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. There is no sin that can resist the forgiving power of the blood of Jesus. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain can take away 
the guilt of sin or something, something. It's take away its stain, but Christ, the Lamb of God, for all our sins is bled. I don't know the words, apparently. A sacrifice of nobler birth and something than they. I, oof, I should know those words because this is the Christ's blood. Which John points to when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That does the trick. Now, I know that you probably don't look at yourself in the mirror. I told the people at church this morning, if they do this, they need to come talk to me. You look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, Hey, look at that saint. You look at yourself, and I imagine you see a sinner. You look at the person next to you, you see a sinner. You're looking at me, you're looking at a sinner. But Jesus looks at you. And he sees a saint clothed in the perfect white robes of his righteousness. That's how he sees you. That's why he calls you his child. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed, but when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Can you imagine that? The, the, the seeing of Jesus, and I don't understand what this means, but it, there's something there in that 1 John 3 passage that this, when we see Jesus, it, it transforms us. Even, even while we suffer. So that's the last part. Because we're God's children, and normally, like when you're watching a movie and they say, oh, that, that thing over there is a demigod, you know, a child of one of the gods. They, they're, the, the mark of being a, a son of the gods is that you can lift cars and fly through the air or something, but our God is not like the pagan gods, and so as children, are not like the pagan God's children. Being God's child doesn't make us like Hercules or Achilles, a great warrior known by strength and violence. No, to be God's child, of the, a child of the true God, is to be known by humility. That's how he's known, by suffering. So that Jesus, after he gives this great Sermon on the Mount, he, nine blessings, he turns and he says, Now blessed are you when people revile you or persecute you or say all sorts of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad. I'm not, so I'm not making that up. That's the kind of thing that can only come from the mouth of Jesus. And you say, look, anyone else says that? 
I, you know, you just walk away and ignore it. But it's Jesus talking. When they revile you and persecute you, rejoice. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. They did the same to the prophets who were before you. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. In fact, it might be an indication of God's love. That's not easy. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father's given to us that we sinners are called saints. <laughs> God be praised. The Sunday drive home. Hey, if you like this video, you'll probably like uh, this one also. And subscribe, like, comment, all that stuff keeps you plugged in. Thanks for riding along with me. Godspeed be with you.